Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Micah. Book of Micah. <coughs> Micah chapter 2 and we'll begin from verse 1. <coughs> Micah chapter 2 verse 1. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it, which is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by once, and houses and take them away. So they oppress him in his house, even a man in his heritage. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, against his family do I devise an evil, from which, they, uh, from which ye shall not remove your necks, neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil in that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with the doleful patience and say we be utterly spoiled he hath changed the portion of my people how hath he removed it from me turning away he hath divided our fields therefore thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the lord prophesy ye not say they to them that prophesy shall not prophesy to them they that um that they shall not take shame O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late my people is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. The women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall be the prophet of this people. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this, this evening once again, this time that we can come and worship you and spend time around your world. Lord, I pray that this evening as we continue to study the book of Micah, Lord, you would undertake that you give me wisdom and guidance from on high, that you empower me through the Spirit. And Lord, that everything I say this evening would be from you, to be your words and your thoughts, and that you take your word, Lord, that you'd apply it to each of our hearts, and that you give, it up, give us understanding of this passage before us and teach us through it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's been a very long time since I was in the book of Micah. We didn't get very far at all. We'd only just started to look at the book of Micah. I think it was back in early November last year, so it's a long time ago. Um, and so let me refresh your mind a little bit as to what we've already seen. We saw that Micah was from a small town called Mosheth, okay, which is about 40 kilometers southwest of Jerusalem. And he ministered during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, okay, which means that he was a contemporary of Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea. So these prophets are all ministering around the same time. They all ministered uh, during the same period, some in the south and some to the north. The first one of chapter 1 tells us that Micah's ministry was to both kingdoms. It says in verse 1 of chapter 1, The word of the Lord came to Micah, the Morishthite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Okay, so he ministered during the reign of these three kings, and his prophecy was to both kings, both to the north and to the south, to Samaria and to Jerusalem. 
And what he sees is he sees the impending judgment of the Lord. He sees what is coming for both these kingdoms and he calls them back to the Lord. He calls them to repent and to serve the Lord. Now, over the course of the book, Micah receives three messages from the Lord. In chapters 1 and 2, we have uh, given to us a warning message. And the warning is that judgment is coming. In chapters 3, and, three to 5, we have a promise message that a deliverer is coming. And then in chapters 6 and 7, there is a challenge message, trust the Lord now. And in our last message, we began to look at the message. We began to look at the first part of this warning. And we saw in chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, the declaration that God's wrath is coming. God's wrath is coming upon his people. You know, Micah began by telling them that God's courtroom is convened. You know, God's court has been called into order and both the the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom have been called to answer for their sins before almighty god and they must listen as god the judge bears witness against them and both uh, the north and the south were found guilty as charged and so micah sees the lord the righteous judge rising from his throne and descending in judgment upon both uh, both the north and the south just read verses three to five of chapter one with me if you would verse 3 of chapter 1 says for behold the lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth and the men shall be molten under him and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire and as the waters that are poured down a place for the transgression of jacob is all this and for the sins of the house of israel what is the transgression of jacob is it not samaria and what are the high places of judah are they not Jerusalem and so he describes here with great majesty the Lord marching forth in judgment against and that judgment was going to come at the hands of the Assyrians first of all and at the end of chapter 1 he outlines that judgment for us we're going to sort of skip over that part but at the end of chapter 1 he describes how the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to lay waste to Samaria to the northern kingdom And then they're going to press down into the south and they're going to take various cities in the south. And Jerusalem will only be spared because God will protect them. And we know from um, the history of Israel, the Assyrians got right to Jerusalem. But God spared Jerusalem and the Assyrians were driven back. And so Micah makes it clear that judgment is coming for both these kingdoms. And now in chapter 2, what Micah does is Micah now outlines the sins of the people two sins in particular you see the people could ask the lord they could you know stand there and look at god and say you know how can you allow this kind of suffering to come upon us you know we're god's people how can you allow us to suffer in such a way how can you allow the heathen to take the land you know after all god was the one who had brought them out of egypt god was the one who brought them through the red sea and through the wilderness and across the jordan river and god was the one who given them the land of Canaan. So how could God permit all this to happen to his people? Well, the answer is that their privileged position as God's people did not come without responsibility and accountability to God. Just turn to Amos chapter 3 quickly. Amos chapter 3 and verse 2. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, You only have I known of the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. 
You see, God had chosen them. Yes, God had known them. They were his people. But that was the whole reason he was going to punish them because they were his people. They were his children. And so he was going to deal with them as God should. God in his holiness must deal with sin. Israel was accountable to God for their actions. And so in chapter 2 now, Micah holds them accountable for two sins in particular. And it's these two sins that I want us to focus on this evening. The first one is covetousness. Covetousness or materialism. It's found in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 2. In verse 1 of chapter 2 it says, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by violence, and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, against his family do I devise an evil, from which ye shall not remove your necks, neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. In they shall one take up a parable against you, and lament with a doleful lamentation, and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. Therefore, thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. Micah begins here by pronouncing woe upon the people because of their covetous ways. And in particular, Micah is focusing on the nobility in the land, the rich in the land. Verse 1 describes for us how they would lay awake at night upon their beds, devising and scheming to evil. It says in verse 1, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. So they would lay awake at night, conceiving their evil plans, hatching their, their evil plans, and then in the morning they would carry these wicked out. The point that Mike is to make is that this was premeditated sin. Okay, this was not a sin of ignorance. This is not some sin that they just fell into. This was a premeditated sin. They thought upon it. They dwelled upon it before they acted upon it. They planned and schemed to carry out this sin. And the fact that Micah tells us that they carried out their plans when the morning is light implies to us that the courts were corrupt. Okay, The courts in Israel, the lawmakers in Israel, they were corrupt. And in fact, they were actually supporting them in their sin. You see, you know, typically thieves practice their work at night under the darkness, you know, when no one can see them, when it's hidden from eyes of man. And in the ancient world, the law courts would open for business at the morning lights. And so Micah here is making it plain that these guys are doing it in the sight of a man, and it's inside of the courts, and the courts are doing nothing. Because it should have been upholding God's law, are sitting idly by and allowing these ones to get away with their sin. These men are carrying it out in front of everybody, in front of the courts. These ones who should have been upholding the law. You know, these men, the, the courts are in fact even complicit with these men in their sin. More than likely, the ones on the court are involved in the sin. They're the who are carrying out this wickedness. In verse 2, oh, sorry, verse 1 ends... Verse 1 ends by telling us that they had the power to carry out their schemes. One again, it says, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of 
their hand. You know, it's one thing to scheme to do evil. It's one thing to plan to do evil, but it's another to actually have the ability and the power to carry it out. And that's the point here. These men had the ability, they had the power to carry out this wickedness. They were powerful, rich men who had the backing of the courts. No one was going to stand in their way. No one was going to stop them from carrying out their evil plans. And in verse 2, Micah tells us exactly what these men, these rich men, were guilty of doing. It says in verse 2, And they covet fields and take them by violence. And take them away, so they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. What these men were scheming and devising upon their beds at night is how to gain more and more riches for themselves at the expense of everybody else. We're told here in verse 2 that these men coveted the fields, the property, the houses of others. Now they looked out and they saw the field that someone else had and they coveted it. They desired it and then they stole it. They took it for themselves. It reminds us of Ahab, doesn't it? And how Ahab desired the vineyard and he took it by force. He stole that which didn't belong to him. That's what these men were doing. They were stealing from others. They were taking it by violence and oppression. And these wealthy men, these wealthy rich barons were acquiring large estates by taking other people's lands and then they were enslaving the poor, making the poor work for them. And so they would be richer and richer as the poor got poorer. It was all about profit for themselves. Now these men didn't care about anyone else. Their only concern was for their own back pocket. You know, they were concerned only about themselves and gaining more and more riches. They didn't care who they hurt. They didn't care who they trampled along the way. They didn't care how many of their fellow Jews they left destitute. These men solely were concerned about lining their own pockets with more and more money, more and more wealth. You know, verse 2 ends by telling us, it says, So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Even a man and his heritage. The point of that statement is that these wealthy barons... What they mean is they were stealing the heritage of their fellow Jews. They were taking the inheritance of their brethren. They were stealing it. They were taking that which these fellow Jews had received from their parents, their ancestors, and their ancestors had, ancestors, sorry, had got it from whom? God. God had given it to them as inheritance. And now these rich barons were taking it away and leaving them with nothing, taking their heritage. And so their children had nothing, and the next generation had nothing. And their actions here were in complete violation of God's holy law. They were acting completely in contrary to the law of God. You see, ultimately all the land belonged to God, and he simply leased to his people. Just go back with me to Leviticus Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25 and verse 2. Starting verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, speaking unto the children of Israel, and saying to them, When you come into the land which I give you, 
Then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. And then drop down to verse 23. <clears throat> it says, The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And then in verse 38, it says, I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. You see, God gave them the land. It belonged to him. And he was leasing it to the people. And in return, they were to obey him and honor him with that land. And in particular, God gave the land to certain families and to certain tribes. You know, each family, each was given a portion of land, a lot of land. And God was clear that that portion of land was to remain with that family and with that tribe. Anybody sold that land because they fell on hard times, it was to return back to that family in the year of Jubilee. All land was to return back to the original owners in the year of Jubilee. This t- in verse, uh, chapter 25, still this, stay there. Leviticus 25, let's just read from verse 8. <clears throat> it says, And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of, seven, of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, in the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound through your land. And you shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you. And you shall return every man under his possession. And you shall return every man under his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. And you shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed. For it is the jubilee. It shall be holy unto you. You shall eat the ink thereof out of the field. In the year of this jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. And if thou sell aught unto thy neighbor, or buyest aught of thy neighbor's hand, ye shall not oppress one another. According to the numbers of years after the jubilee, thou shalt buy of thy neighbor. And according unto the numbers of years of the fruits, he shall sell unto thee. According to the multitude of the years, thou shalt increase the price thereof. According to the fewness of the years, Thou shalt the price of it, for according to the number of the years of which doth he sell unto thee. Ye shall not therefore oppress one another, but thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. The point of this passage is that God made it clear that the land, the possessions, was to return back to the original owners in the 50th year, the year of Jubilee. And the purpose of all this was, as verse 17 says, Ye shall not therefore oppress one another. The purpose of this law was so that the rich wouldn't get richer and the poor wouldn't get poorer. The purpose of all this was people wouldn't be oppressed and trodden down. God made this law so that families wouldn't lose their estates. Even if they fell on hard times and had to sell it, they would get their inheritance back. They would get their heritage back in the year of Jubilee. You know, this law, this law was designed to stop the very thing that was taking place in Micah's day. It was designed to stop the oppression of the poor by the rich, which is what was happening in Micah's day. The rich barons were oppressing the poor. And God designed this law to stop this. God designed it to make sure the, the economy was stabilized. And it wasn't uneven. You know, the problem in Micah's day was that these rich barons, they had no regard for God's holy law. They didn't care 
hand belonged to God. They didn't care that God's law, that they had to return the land in the year of Jubilee. They didn't care about their fellow Jew. They didn't have compassion for, but rather they oppressed them and didn't care. You see, their only concern was for themselves and getting richer. And really, the sin that these men were guilty of was the sin of materialism. That's really what they were guilty of. They coveted the possessions of others and were obsessed with gaining more and more things for themselves. Materialism. You know, this is a sin that we can all be just as guilty of today. You know, if we are not careful, we can find ourselves coveting the things of this world and become consumed by the desire for more and more. Become consumed by materialistic desire, materialism. Living for the material, material things instead of the heavenly. Living for things that don't matter rather than the things that do matter for eternity. And you know, this sin of materialism can lead us to do some pretty horrible things. Materialism can lead us to God, to steal from God, to steal from God that which belongs to him. Why? So that we can obtain more earthly possessions. Just turn over to Malachi chapter 3, because the Jews were guilty of doing this. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7. Malachi 3 verse 7, it says, Even from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from mine ordinances, have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Where shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. The Jews here are said to have been guilty of doing what? Robbing God. They withheld from God that which belonged to him, their tithes and offerings. And you know, we can be led to the same thing by this sin of covetousness and materialism. We can rob God of that which belongs to him. Become guilty of not giving God his tithes and offerings. Why? Because we want more of the earth's possessions. Now, materialism can also lead us to rob our family as well. You know, to neglect our children, neglect our wife or our husband. We become so consumed by working to earn more that we forget about them. And so we're robbing them of the time that they deserve. We're robbing of the companionship they deserve. We're failing in our responsibilities, as Pastor preached about this morning. We're failing in our responsibilities because of this concern of materialism, a materialistic desire. You can also lead us these barren have no love and concern for others. No compassion on the poor, only be concerned with ourselves and we don't know who we hurt along the way. It can lead us to ignoring God's will. You know, because we're so concerned with materialism, we don't care what God wants, we're only concerned with ourselves. Beloved, we live in a materialistic world, especially in this Western world that we live in. And materialism is a big problem for all of us as believers you know if we we sit there and say no it's not we're lying to ourselves materialism is a big problem covetousness is a big problem for us as believers you know as believers we must remember the truth of matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 just turn over there matthew 6 
Matthew 6 and verse 33. It says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now God's word's clear that you and I are to keep our focus upon him, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does God say? He says he will give us that which we need. He will supply all those things we need. He will take care of the rest. You and I instead need to keep our focus upon him. Instead of worrying about the things of this life, coveting after the things of this life, desiring the material wealth of this life, you and I need to put God first and let God take care of the rest. You know, when we don't put God first, when we allow this sin of covetousness and materialism to enter in, you know, we will find that there are consequences to this sin. You know, Micah goes on in, in this passage to explain that these rich barons are going to reap what they had sowed. God was devising evil against them. It says in verse 3, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil. From which you shall not remove your necks, neither shall you go haughtily, for this time is evil. In that day shall one up a parable against you, and lament with a doleful lamentation, and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. Therefore thou shalt have none that cast the cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. You know, Micah makes it clear here that they were going to reap what they'd sow. They lived for materialism. They lived for the things that they stole from others to gain more. And God says he's going to take it all away from them. The day was coming when they were going to lose everything. Everything they had lived for, everything they had stolen was going to be taken away from them. God was going to take it and give it to the enemy. He was going to give it to the Assyrians. And you know, many of them would go away into exile and they would never see the land that they coveted after ever again. They never see these estates that they had amassed again. They never see any of this because it would be taken away from them. They would end up with nothing. You know, there is a great warning in all this for us as well. You know, if we live for the things of this life, coveting after possessions and material wealth, God will deal with us for that sin. And it may be as drastic as it was with Israel. God may take it all away to get our attention. God may strip us bare to get us to get our focus back on him. But ultimately, you know, if we live for the things of this life, we will miss out in heaven. We'll miss out in glory. We'll get to heaven. We'll find, up, find, find that all the works are burned up and all that's left is nothing. There's no reward because we've lived for ourselves. Materialism is sin. It takes our heart away from God. It gets our focus of that which matters to God. And it leads us to hurting not only ourselves, but hurting ourselves. You know, beloved, by God's grace, we need to pray that he will enable us to set our affection on things above and not on things on this earth, as Colossians 3 says. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. And so the people in Israel were guilty of covetousness. Secondly, we see they were guilty of ignoring the true prophets of God or believing the false prophets. Believing the false prophets. Look in verse 6. It says, Prophesy not, so prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy. They shall not prophesy them, 
They shall not, that they shall, sorry, that they shall not take shame. O thou that art named the house of Jacob, the spirit of the Lord straighten. Are these his doings? Do not my word good to him who walketh uprightly. Even of late my soul is risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with the garment from them that pass by securely, as men averse from war. The women of my, of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is good, it shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. You see, the second sin that we find here is that the people were guilty of rejecting the true prophets of God and instead listening to the false prophets. Now, the people here attacked Micah and they attacked the other prophets in his day why? They attacked them for preaching the message that God had given them. In verse 6 it says, Prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy. Now as Micah is standing up and he's prophesying, he's telling the message that God had given him, the people are yelling out saying, Stop preaching. Stop telling us this, Micah. We don't like your message. Prophesy ye not. They were called upon him to be quiet, to be silenced. You see, the people didn't like the message that Micah was telling them. They didn't like his message. Why? Because it was one of sin and judgments. You see, it wasn't a nice, tickle the ears message. It wasn't an airy message. It wasn't something that people wanted to hear. It wasn't full of jokes and laughter. It was a hard message from God concerning sin and judgment that was coming. And in verses 7 to 9, Micah reminds them that God and his prophets are not to blame. God and his prophets are not to blame for their present condition. Just read verse 7 again. It says, O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late my people is risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with them from them for the robe with the garment from them that passed by securely as men averse from war. The women of my people have you cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have you taken away my glory forever. See, Micah tells them here, he says, God and the prophets are not to blame. He said, God's not being unfair in pronouncing judgments. God didn't take delight in pronouncing judgment. This isn't what God wanted to do. God wanted to bless his people. It wasn't God and it wasn't the prophets who were to blame. The people had brought it upon themselves by their sin and by their wickedness. You know, if the people had been living lives that honored God, the message would have been different. The message would have been one of blessing instead of one of judgments if they'd honored God and obeyed Him. But because of their sin, the message was one of judgment. The people would be held accountable for their sin. And this was a message the people didn't want. They didn't like it because it made them feel guilty. It pointed out their sin. And you know, the message of God is still the same today. You know, people don't like to be told about sin and judgment. It's not a message people want to hear. What they want is a message that will tickle their ears, a message that will make them feel good. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
In 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. Well, starting verse 2, it says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You know, here we see that, you know, people in, in the day and age we live in, this is the age we live in, will not endure sound People will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear about sin and judgments. What they want is a message that will tickle their ears, a message that is nice, a message that makes them feel good. And so that's what people are seeking after. They reject the truth and they seek a false teacher who will tell them that they like. You know, the reality is that the message of sin and judgment must be preached. It must be preached. For people must repent and believe to be saved. The message of sin and judgment is God's message and it must be preached. We cannot water down the gospel message. There is no watering down of the truth to make people feel good. God's word is God's word. Sin is sin and God must deal with sin. You know, sadly in Micah's day, this is exactly what the false prophets were doing. They were watering down the message. The false prophets were telling the people what they wanted to hear. Just read verse 10 of Micah chapter 2. Verse 10, it says, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the Spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. You see, these false prophets were deceiving the people by telling them that everything was well. They were saying, everything's okay. Don't listen to Micah. Don't listen to I. Don't listen to Hosea or Amos. Everything's okay. God's not going to destroy us. This is our rest. This is our land that God gave us. Don't listen to these prophets that don't know what they're talking about. That's what the false teacher is saying. You see, the false teachers, it says 11, were prophesying to them of wine and strong drink. In other words, they were prophesying of days of plenty. You've got Micah and the other prophets saying, God is coming to judge. He's going to strip you bare. He's going to take it all away. And then you've got the false prophets over here saying, no, no, it's our land of rest. And God is going to bless. And we're going to be a land of plenty. There's going to be plenty of wine and strong drink. There's going to be plenty of stuff. For us, God is going to bless us. And so the people listened to what they wanted to hear. They listened to the false prophets. Because that's what they wanted to hear. That was the message they wanted to hear. It wasn't the message God had for them, but it was the message they wanted for themselves. And so they said, don't listen to Micah. God gave us this land and he won't take it from us. You know, it is true that the land was given to them by God. It is true that the land was supposed to be their rest. Because of their sin, there was no rest to be found in the land. And that's what Micah says in verse 10. He says, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. He says, Don't listen to the false prophets. There is no rest to be found in the land. He says, Get up and flee. That's what he says. He says, get up and flee because judgment is coming. 
The land is polluted and the land will destroy you if you stay. You see, God's message was the complete opposite of the false teachers. They said everything is okay. Keep doing what you're doing and God will bless. God's message was you're in sin and judgment's coming. There is no rest to be found in the land. You know, because the hearts, the people's hearts were so full of materialism, so full of covetousness, they refused to listen to Micah. They refused to listen to the other prophets and instead they listened to the false prophets. These false prophets told them what they wanted to hear. You know, the false prophets said, you can enjoy your sin and God will still bless. God gave you the land. God won't take it from you. The people's rejection here of the true prophets and acceptance of the false prophets shows what was in their hearts. It demonstrated the attitude of heart. You know, that is true today. The way that you and I respond to the word of God demonstrates what's in our hearts. It indicates our relationship with the Lord. You know, preaching about sin and judgment is never a fun thing. As a preacher, it's not something we want to about. But it must be preached. It's word. And God's word was given to us. Why? For reproof and correction and instruction. There's two negatives there. God's word was given to point out a sin and to show us that God's not happy with things that we do. And the message of sin and judgment is not just for the unsaved, it's for us as believers as well. You know, the false teachers, they want us to believe that we can have our sin and still honor God. Exactly the same as what the false teachers in Micah's day were saying. We can have our sin and still honor God. Just go to Jude. We finished in Jude, but Jude in verse 4, this is exactly what the false teachers try to tell us. Jude in verse 4, it says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These false teachers turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, the grace of God into an excuse to sin. They say you can live in sin and God will still bless. You can live for the things of this life and God will still bless. Beloved, it simply isn't true. God's word is clear. If we live in sin, it separates us from God. Yes, we're still saved. It hinders our fellowship with him and sin must be dealt with. You know, one of those major sins that we struggle with, just like the Israelites struggled with, is covetousness or materialism. And you know, God's word is in Matthew 6, verse 24. It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God's word is pretty clear on this matter of materialism, isn't it? You cannot serve God and Money, God and mammon. Can't serve materialism and God at the same time. Beloved, live in a materialistic world. And materialism is a struggle for all of us. The question is, how are we going to respond to the message of Micah chapter 2? You know, are we going to respond like the people of Israel and reject it and ignore it because it's not what we want to hear? You know, we don't want to be told that we're living for the things of this life with sin. 
We don't want to be told that our focus is wrong, and so we take that message and we ignore it. The preacher's just having a go at me. Now, are we going to reject it and ignore it because it's not what we want to hear, or are we going to accept it and by God's grace deal with it and put God first? Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, indeed, materialistness is a sin that we struggle with today, even as the Israelites did. And Lord, so often our response is like Israel's as well. We get all offended when your word points out our sin. We get all offended when the preacher talks about these things because we don't want it. Lord, I pray you help all of us to humble ourselves before you, help us to deal with this sin if it is a problem, and help us, Lord, to get our eyes off the things of this life, the concerns of this life, and put you first. May our service for you be the primary focus of all of us, we pray. Bless this new close in Jesus' name. Amen.